0: Lord. well, if you'd like to turn with me this morning to um, the book of Joshua, chapter 22, verses 1 to 8, where I continue our stewardship thoughts on, we want to be good stewards of what God's given us, the very breath we breathe is His, the very life we have is His, we owe everything to Him, we're, we're here for a purpose, and we're here, we have destiny in our souls, we and we want to make sure that we fulfill that purpose and fulfill it in a way that glorifies him and honors him so having so that's what stewardship is about It's about using just, not just, it's not just about money giving money, although it is certainly giving our money because it's a big percentage of who we are, what we earn, what we do, but it's about stewardshipping of, of the, some of the hidden things in our life, like our emotions, our mind, our time you know and and, and just building things in our life that will Keep us going through whatever happens in life. You know, if, I would say most of us, if we had an opportunity to do life again, we'd probably say no. We'd say, I don't want to go through what I've been through. You know, uh, and uh, I guess that t- tells us when none of us know what the future holds. But the good news is we do know who holds that future. And we do know that we can live by principles that will bless that future and we can build that future. And that's what we want to do. We're, we're on a journey. And so I want to tell a story about the journey of, uh, of Joshua. Joshua chapter 22, verse 1 to 8, at the end of Joshua, basically. Let me read it to you. It says, And Joshua called the Rabbinites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he said to them, You have kept all that Moses, my servant, commanded you, and you have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left brethren the, these in many days, and up to this day you've kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. Now the Lord your God has given you rest to your brethren, as he's promised. Now therefore, return to your tents and to the land of your possessions, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of Jordan. But, but, take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to keep his commandments, and to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to the tents. Verse 7 Now to half the tribe of Manasseh, Moses gave possession in Bashan, but to the other half of it, Joshua gave possession among the brethren on this side of the Jordan, westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to the tents, he blessed them and he spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents. Stewardship of money. Return with much, the part of the blessings of the kingdom of God. Return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, And this is for you ladies with very much clothing. Okay? Uh, Expand the tent of your closet. And say to your partner, fill it up. It's amazing what's in the word when we want to see it, isn't it? I can see men's shoe shopping from now on, with ladies. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. Divide it. It's not just for you. Divide it. And that's what stewardship we're talking about. A steward campaign is about. It's about dividing some of that inheritance that we receive and saying, God, we thank you, and we're going to bless the church. Now. I love Moses, uh, Joshua, for a number of reasons. I, I think he's the most unique of some of the Old Testament leaders. In fact, I would say he's one of the greatest. I would say probably, of course, David is a great leader, but uh, I think probably the greatest leader in the Old Testament is Moses himself. It's just phenomenal when you look at his life and what he did and what he had. I mean, it, it, he made a history history for Israel under the hand of God. But probably the person who is uh, least talked about, in fact, there's only two mentions of him in the New Testament, and that's Joshua. You think, I mean, Joshua, he was born a slave in Egypt. He saw the great deliverance. He walked through the Red Sea. He was right next to the mountain when Moses was giving it. He was not part of it, but he was there when the golden calf was formed and worshipped. He saw the worst, best of Israel and he saw the worst of Israel. He stayed faithful. In fact, if you read the story of, of Joshua, he's the guy who's in the tent worshipping God all the time. That's The, the mark of it, is that he's in the presence of God. And then when you come to the, new, to the promised land, he's the victor. He comes up, God speaks to him. I mean... I sometimes, you know, you've, you've got to think about his leadership. Caleb and him were of the, of the one, two people of a generation that survived, out of a million people. And another generation. So he, he now is a, started as a young man, now he's an old man. And he walks with Caleb in the promised land. He walks without Moses. He walks without the pillar of fire that Moses had. He walks without the cloud that Moses had. And he walks without the manna that they lived on every day. And in front of him is a swollen river that's uncrossable. And he must lead a million people into their destiny. I mean, And we're reading here how he sends them back again. Prosperous in battle. Now that's great leadership. Amongst unbelievable odds. You know what God can do through a man, through a woman. Yeah. Not that he was a woman. But you know what made this leader great? You know, what made him, you know, I, I, I've been meditating upon this, you know, there's, you know, I, I would say number one, if you're writing down some notes. Number one, he understood the seasons of life. You, know, we're on a journey, and we know the j- journey takes there. You know, we, we start as babies. Everybody loves a baby. You know? But by the time they get to three, we won't talk about that. <laughs> by the time they get to 16, we won't talk about that. <laughs> Yeah, life changes, doesn't it, as we go through the teen years, the young adults, the you know, and of course, and, and as we go through the middle ages and the old ages, you know, the environment changes. You know, our body changes, everything changes. You know, friends. Uh, you know, we we, for those of us who made through that, we're, we're blessed. Some of us, our friends, are no longer with us. You know, they've died of cancer, they've died of car accidents, you name it. You know, but. He understood the seasons, you know, because nothing stays the same. Yeah, we've got to realise, you know, and what, but the key is that what God does is never the same, but yet it's always the same, if that makes sense. God, you know, it would be boring in life, I think, if we only had one season. When we lived in America, we, we had, uh, we lived there twice, and, um but when we come back, we always have a repeat of the same season. So if we leave in winter, we have another winter. By the time that those two seasons have ended, you're so glad to see a change of season. There's something in us that likes variety. You know, we like the season. And, and you know, Moses understood these seasons here because he saw the cease and realized, hey, you know, God was providing for the needs of the people daily, sovereignly, and now it had it totally changed. You know, they had to fight for their food and they had to fight because, I mean, unless they battled, they would not have, they had to take on the enemy, the same enemy that were giants that that they'd ran from 40 years earlier. Not Joshua or Caleb, but the others. See, sometimes God provides our finances, you know, we, you know, I think being a Christian sometimes is like... uh, when we get saved, God gives us a little bell. You know those bells you ring when for dinner, And yeah, we go to God, and the and God says, "Look here, Peter, you know, I'll give you a bell, and uh, just ring it. You know, it's called you know asking in my name, bell. We'll call it. Yeah. Just yeah. ring it, yeah. and I will come running, and, and I'll answer you. And we, and then you you, you hear new converts are just amazing, aren't they? Yes. You know the dog gets saved. Their car. They get a new car when the other one breaks down. They get a, they, they lose their job. They get a better job, and, and they get healed. And the mother-in-law gets saved. You know, it's just. A, and they come to church next Sunday. That's all happened within the first week. Yes. And, and and they're telling you all about this, and they're so excited about it. So isn't this so wonderful? What God does? Look at the miracles I'm happening. And you're going back and you're thinking, oh, let me. I don't. That, you know, and you've got to look back a lot of years till that happened. Because you know, what's happening in life is this. We don't realize that the season has changed. There's a season where God will just answer every single one of your needs. You, know, you ring the bell and he'll say, here I am. You know, I love you. What do you want? Here it is. But then after a while, he comes back and says, he comes running to you and say, hey, can I have the bell back? Yes. Takes the bell back and he says, ring, ring, ring. Now you come running. That's stewardship. That's servanthood. You know, and he rings the bell and, and he says, now's the time you know, you've got to give something back to me and to someone else. That's stewardship. You know, God rings the bell. You know, some people never trans, transit in life the seasons. They're still in the bell ringing stage and they don't realize they haven't got a bell any longer. It's not working. You know, God's not hearing and God's purposely not listening. He hears it all right, but he ignores it. I think every mother has heard the cry of their baby and ran but then there's some stages when you're building them and maturing them that you don't run the first time they cry or the second time they cry. And sometimes you let it cry because you're building that character into the building that maturity. See, that's what God is. God answers your needs and he supplies your needs by your riches and glory. But, it's, but at times he stops the manner so that he can bless you and mature you. Because the greatest blessing we have is not in things. The greatest blessing we have is in maturity. It's in character. It's about building things in our life that's going to equip us for the battle that He's caused us and prepared us for. These are guys that had to go in. I mean, you know, He he gave inklings of it all the way through. Of course, when you look at it, you know, He sends the twelve spies in the Promised Land and says, "Hey, have a look at it." Uh, and see if it's not what I promised you. Because they come back and say, boy, it's everything that you promised us. But we saw the biggest people on earth. They were giants. And we were just so small in their sight. And, the, and all they could see was the giants. They weren't ready for the battle. But when we read Joshua here, that Joshua took the giants on he divided them off. And Caleb, when we read the next chapter, he says, give me... The highlands where the giants dwell and have dwelt. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I might be old, but I'm not. You know, I want the giants. Give me the giants. I've waited forty years. This is my day. This is my destiny. Is, something was inside Cal, Caleb and Joshua that wasn't in the other people, and God had to put it in people. It took quite a while, but you know, the key of Joshua's life, the key of Moses' life, I put it down to one thing: the presence of God. See, when God created us, we go back to Genesis and read Genesis, we realize that when God created us, He blessed us. And we think of Eden as the perfect place. You know what I mean? God created, you know, He blessed God. He said it was good, it was very good, yeah, and put a man in the pinnacle. But you know what? When you closely read Genesis, you realize, hey, it wasn't the perfect place. He said when he created he said it was good. He didn't say it was perfect. Because it wasn't perfect because it was good. I mean, it was, it was really good. You know, and there's something about goodness that is godly. We like good things, don't we? We like a good scenery. We like to look good. You know, goodness brings pleasure. When you do, when you do a good job, now I'm glad I'm not a painter. Talk about a house painter because I'm a very bad painter. But, you know, when I do a good job painting, I sit back at it and I look at it and say, I feel good. You know, I, I, look at, I sit back. Now, if, you, if I was working for a painter, they'd sack me because all I do is look at the good. I, I look at this blank wall and I, I think of how good that looks. Now, I think that might sound weird to you, but you just feel good that you did a good job. It brings pleasure. Right. And you can sit there and, and feel that pleasure. It's just something about it. Well, well, Adam looked over. He saw the pleasure. God saw the job and they had put pleasure. They, they fellowshiped together. And then one day he forgot to tell him. I'm amazed what God tells man and what he forgets to tell man. Now, he doesn't forget it. He purposely forgets it. He forgot to tell man about Satan. The serpent. He creates this protected place. We won't go into it, but Eden was on top of a mountain. You know, it was not easy to get to, but it had an open heaven. And of course, it was open to God, but it's also open to every satanic force there was. See, and he says to Adam, he said, Look, whatever you do, don't eat of that tree. He didn't say, Whatever you do, don't listen to Satan. He didn't tell him to resist the devil and he'll flee. He, 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 he allowed them to experience it. Because there's something about maturity. You, you know, you can only know certain things by experience. it. Isn't it true? Like if I, how do you describe a mango? My favorite food, in case you're wondering. Yeah, when you get a really good Bowen mango, or whatever they call it nowadays, I mean, there's something about the flavor of mango that it's just incredible. Now, how do you describe a mango to somebody who's never had a mango? Well, what does it taste like, Mango. What's it like? Really nice, but it's, you know, what's nice? Well, it's nice like a mango. You can't, see, but how do you describe faith to a person who's never lived in faith? How do you describe the journey of healing to a person who's never stood there in warfare and warfareed and, and, and received healing, who can, who can stood there against the opposition, the thoughts, the feelings, the emotions, the, you know, the issues, whatever, the, the, the voices of everybody else, the voices, and say, I'm delivered, I'm healed, I'm... You've got to experience it, haven't you? That's right. And how do you tell a person what, what loving your family is like? Well, we've just had our third grandchild. But how do you tell a person what the feelings you have towards a grandchild when you first see them? There's something that comes over you that's different than anything else. I remember... Um, one of the people in church, I won't mention who they are, just to keep them from not being guilty. But uh, they said to me, they said, oh, when you see your first grandchild, you know, you'll get a real love for them and, you know, you're there. And I'm thinking, oh, God, that's a load of, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I thought, like, you could be really an exaggerator at times, you know. And I'm thinking of these thoughts as he's telling me all these things that describe you. And I'm kind of like, resigned. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, 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 you know. Oh, I've got to go and do something else now. <laughs> And yet I can remember my birth of my first grandchild. That's exactly what happened. See, till you experience it, someone can tell you about it, but until you experience it, you don't know the experience of it. Now, someone cannot, Until you had your first child, you can't experience what the birth of a child is like. There's just something miraculous, something that, it's indescribable. It's happened for generations, but you feel like you're the only person in the world who's ever had it. See, it's those things in life that bring pleasure, the good things of life. But, and they come out of that experience of God. You know, God's got to help you experience things. You've got to experience war. You will experience lack at occasion, but it won't be permanent. You'll experience rejection, but He hasn't rejected you. You'll experience hurt. See, we have this idea that church should be a perfect place and God's such a perfect God that we're just going to be angels with wings playing harps in harmony with each other. We'll go to the house meeting and it'll be just, oh, was just the presence of God was so amazing. The Bible reading was amazing. Yeah, you know, I'm just, you know, like, I can't describe. I've been floating on air for the last week. Oh, come on, let's get real here. I mean, you know, you might experience that once, twice, three or four. I don't know how many times. But I tell you what you're going to experience, pretty norm- normality. See, but it's, it's that normality and the experience of God that brings character into your life. See, it was Israel being brought into slavery that taught them the meaning of liberty and the value of their land. Because you know, you know, we, we will never understand the journey of life when we stand there under p- the power of the covenant we have with God for the land. See, we just think that Israel you know, had to take hold of the land because God gave them the land. But don't realize that, that God just didn't give the land to Israel. He just gave that one section, that tiny little place to Israel, but he gave the land to humans. Mm. We were not built for heaven. We think that, you know, you talk to the average Christian, we haven't thought it through. But the average Christian thinks, you know, I'm going to go to heaven And, you know, I'll be in heaven all my life, you know, with God, with Jesus. You know, won't it be fantastic? You know, what are you going to do? Nothing. What have you been good for? Nothing. It just doesn't make logical sense, you know. Sitting on, on, you know, and the picture of sitting on a cloud playing a harp. I mean, that would be hell to me, (laughs) not heaven. But so we have the. See, now we aren't built for. Heaven. We will spend time in heaven. That's not what I'm saying. But we are built for this earth. God's creating a new heavens and a new earth. And He wants the people who, to, who can lead cities. He wants the people who, can, you know, who, will, who have stewarded their lives well because the next life is where it counts. If we're going to live this life, we've got to live it, number one, with hope. You know, you know, we've got to live it with the long view. The reason God gives us hope is so we can, so we can handle the future. You can never handle the obstacles of the future without hope. You, know, you, you can't. You, you can't. The future. You handle the presence with faith, but you handle the future with hope. And so, you know, whenever you're looking at something, you've got to keep, you know, if, if you, let me say young people, if you're here today, they well, that'll probably out actually. But, you know, if you're a young person, or, you know, you've got to keep hope up, you know, no matter what happens. If you lose your job, if you get sick, you know, if, if, you, if your relationships break down, if the kids at school don't love you, if you're being bullied, you know, if uh, no one talks to you on social media, you know, and, and, you know, and your app breaks down, you know, you've got to keep up hope. Hope. Yeah. See, you cannot live life without a positive expectation for good. Because God is a good God and He's got good things inside you. That's what hope is. Hope is saying, the goodness of God, goodness and mercy will follow me. You know, I, I wish it would st- come in front of me and I would follow goodness and mercy. That way, it, uh, you know, but it, goodness and mercy follows me, it's behind me, it's, it. it's there. You know, it, it's, you know it, 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 I got to stop it every so often and let, let it catch up. See, it's, we need the goodness of God. We need the hope of God. You know, We're we living in a world, I mean, just like a, I can't help but talk about global warming. I've had a gut full of global warming. Now, I'm not saying the world is not global and warming. <laughs> and, we, and the world is not getting hotter. But what I have a gutter, you know, it's not our Prime Minister's fault, though I just want you to know that. Yeah. He didn't create the fires. You know what? I think it's the arrogance of man that says that he can change this planet. I think what's happening is God's ringing the bell of revelation. I think God's trying to say, hey, you know, I'm coming back again. You know, he's saying, come on, wake up, people. He said, you know, what surprises, what shocks me is that we can have a spirit-filled, tongue-talking, genuine prime minister. We can have a spirit-filled, genuine, tongue-talking minister who's the mayor of, of uh, Brisbane and also is a member of INC, so he's one of us. And amidst the biggest single crisis we've ever been through, apart from war... I would say, nobody says, let's have a day of prayer. Now, we are so consumed with ourselves that we've forgotten God. And Revelation is about God ringing his bell. Now, we've got to listen. You know, I'm amazed. When I went to America, actually, I went to America two weeks ago to, do, to fulfill some of the requirements of my PhD, but. Um, when it's in America, there, you know, one of, one of our students, we only have seven students in the class. Um, four of us come from outside America and three from America. But one of the students, the reason he almost didn't come to class, for one reason, is that he's from uh, the Philippines. And where his village was, he is something that looks after a thousand churches, home churches. But in the area where he lives, they had a volcano, and in, and it was up to the you know it was just it was it was uh, issuing out so much uh, uh, ash and everything else there. it covered the whole city. They evacuated. You know, here he is. He's got family there and everything else there, and and he comes. You know, we come when when I arrived in there. They'd all talk about the bushfires, you know, and I think they were trying to smell smoke on me. If I'd been through a fire, I think, you know, but it's a funny thing living in Queensland with all the bushfires, because you know we haven't smelt the smoke, have we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we haven't been like Sydney that's been cloud covered and smoke filled for yeah. months, or Melbourne. We have, we, we, and so it's business as normal for us. We go to church. We buy new buildings buy fields buy barns bigger barns see the return of christ there's catastrophes at one level and normality in another level we just happen to be living at the normality at another level but you can go to every nation and they're all having it i mean she was just walking down the airport everybody's got a mask on because of the plague that's happening in china I mean, you know, you can call it a virus if you like, but it's a, we would have called the biblical times a plague. It's killing that many people. It's deadly. People are living in fear. I mean, you know, you know, but yet no one cries out and says, "God, what are you trying to say to us?" Yeah, you know, see, God demands our worship. He demands honor as a King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and as a he demands that your honour is our creator. You know, one thing that Joshua learnt was that the secret of the victory was not the fact that they had been given a nation with a great set of how-to-live laws called the law. What made their nation different was that God lived with them, he was the pillar of fire, the cloud. The nations could have seen it on the horizon if they looked. They could see the God of Israel. They could see a people who he was sovereignly feeding. No wonder the fear of God came over the nations. See, it was the presence of God. You know, when, when whenever Moses got into trouble, what made him a great leader is he didn't turn to the book and says, "You know, what part of the law have I got to do now?" He went to God and said, God, what shall I do? He prayed and God heard him and he went and that was fulfilled. Joshua lived in that. first—he learned he had his first battle. He was a battle commander. But he learned one thing. The battle didn't depend upon him and his skill and the men he had with him. It depended what Moses was doing and who was holding up his hands. That's stewardship. Stewardship sometimes is just praying, and sometimes stewardship is holding up the hands of those that pray. Yes, See, that's what makes prayer. See, I, we've said it here often about prayer, you'll never pray alone. No, that's right. I don't believe you'll ever do it. You'll do it for a while, but you'll, you'll crack at some stage. The pressure is too great. You know, the spiritual principalities, the things that talk to you. you, know, you know, the world, the pull of the world will pull you. you know, if you can pray alone, you can pray regularly, you're doing pretty well, but I'd also like to hear your prayer too. Because I'd say there'd be something missing. I would even dare say, there's probably a lot of you in there and God. A little about we and God. And others and God. See, we need each other. That's what stewardship's about. Joshua understood when he went in that promised land, it wasn't going to depend upon him It was going to depend upon God. When he first went into the land, I mean, it was flooded. They couldn't even get in there without a miracle. But but he saw a bigger miracle at the Red Sea. He saw a smaller one again that day when they crossed on dry land. But they put the ark first, the presence of God. They knew it was in the ark. They couldn't see it any longer, but they knew it was there. You know, God hadn't changed, but how he spoke to man and how he presented himself to man had changed. See, we don't realize sometimes the seasons of life change the way that God speaks to us and how He visualizes and how He manifests Himself to us. And we've got to get used to the, to the movings of God and the movings of the Spirit. You know, because you know, it changes. You know, you can't go back to what we would call in COC the 93 revival where everybody's drunk. It was phenomenal. If you've experienced it, it was just something... Sovereign, there was something that was just unbelievable. there's something that was transformational about it. But see, God's God's moved on. He moves. It doesn't say that He won't come back and do that again. But see, sometimes we, you know, we, we, God's a strange God. God's a God of eternity, but He's also the God of the new. And He keeps some of the eternity, uh, but brings in the new. And we've got to we've got to be prepared for He brings in the new. And God has a habit of you know He just doesn't explain everything in the book. And we don't know what's happening to us by just reading the book. You know, some, some religions live by the book. I believe by living by the book, don't get me wrong. But you know what? But when I read Job, there's a heap of people called Job's friends that live by the book. And they were telling Job exactly how he should be living by the book. But the issue was not... And every single one of them were wrong. Because the problem was not the book the problem is, was that God had a conversation with Satan that he didn't bother to tell anybody about, including Job. Sometimes God's going to have a conversation that you don't know that he's had, and he's doing something in life that you don't know you had, but this journey, in the season of life, is, he's going to work something in you to mature it. You know, we, we've got to be people who listen to God, who, 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 who get a hold of God. My last thought as we close got a heap of them here but in the Garden of Eden the presence of God was there we're Pentecostals because we believe that in the restored presence of God that's the greatest thing we lost we've got to keep that we've got to treasure that presence of God being filled with the Holy Ghost being born of the Spirit and, and being led by the Spirit and empowered by that Spirit but even though God had not told them about Adam and Eve about Satan every day he'd get down and talk to them he built a personal relationship with them you could time him every day he'd come down in the cool the afternoon they'd walk together and they'd talk it was interesting when, when the temptations came that the last person they talked to was their friend that they'd walk with every day you know the word for presence in the Hebrew is actually the same word for face-to-face. You know, when we, we use the words all the time, don't we? We need to have a face-to-face conversation. You know, there's something about, you know, you can be in a person's face, but there's something about having a conversation and looking at the eyes and feeling the expressions and, and hearing the heart. There's something that, that's, that's powerful. You can do a lot of counseling over the phone, but there's nothing like counseling face-to-face. You can witness uh, you know, over the phone. You can witness on, on social media. But there's something about face-to-face. It's about being in the presence of God. See, we, we've got to get familiar with being in the presence of God. Because that's where God speaks to your heart. He fills your mind. He fills your soul. It's where He can direct you. In our course, they would regularly bring in another I'll say famous person, famous ministry person, put them on the big screen probably about four times the size, this one there and we'd have a conversation back and forth in the room with them. They'd usually do a presentation and ask questions and they had a lecturer from George Fox University in Portland, Oregon and he was talking about his personal journey. He was His major was in spiritual formation. He was well known. He helped people through crises and help them you know handle the crisis and he went through his own personal crisis and he, and he was and he said you know what he said if I can tell you something as ministers today because we're all ministers he said, this is the one thing I'd tell you to do spend one oh, I should say spend 20 minutes every single day in silence do you know that's one of the hardest things to do you sit down, oh, I've got to write this out, I've got to do this today, and think, I've got to tell this person, I've got to talk this. this you know, All these things start invading your mind when you get still, isn't it? See, there's something about solitude and silence. It's, it's an opportunity, number one, to empty yourself and to steward the voices that are speaking into your heart and mind because when you get silent all of a sudden your fears come up or your doubts or your selfishness or your sins come up there's something that speaks to you the enemy speaks to you and you'll hear it the more, when you stay silent after a while you'll hear that repetitious voice and you realize this is not a voice from me and it's a voice from the spirit world that's become familiar but you'll recognize the familiarity in that quiet time but you know most of all when you empty yourself you'll ultimately hear the voice of God. And you will give an opportunity for God to speak to you face to face. What That has to be the greatest privilege that we have in the world is to be able to have a face-to-face talk with God every day. We can't see him, I realize that. One day we will. But part of the journey of this stage, we can't. He might give us glimpses and dreams and visions but we need to get alone with God. One of our goals this year is to to ask to just build that face-to-face time so we can hear God personally. Great to have corporate prayer. We've we've talked about that. But just that face-to-face where God can speak to you, encourage you, build you, and ultimately fill you with His Spirit because we're all filled but filled with what? Stewards should make sure we're filled with the Spirit of God. I encourage us to, to take a page out of that professor's book and say, practice his presence. Practice solitude and hearing from God. Make it a goal of yours this week. Part of being a leader and following the one who knows every answer for your life and for this world. Come, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the goodness of God. We thank you for the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that Jesus has come into our hearts and made us born again. We thank you, Lord, that we felt the life transformation. Lord, we want to walk in it and rest in it.